Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters eight and nine. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Eve had original sin. Mary unties that knot. Mary was born free from original sin by a singular act of God's grace. The baby Mary is full of grace, karakotomene. Eve's firstborn son Cain is born with original sin. He will bring murder into the world. Mary unties that knot. Mary's firstborn son, Jesus, has no original sin, and he will bring eternal life back into the world. Mary's son brought resurrection and life into the world. Eve's murdering son is banished further east, remember? Mary will untie that knot. Mary's son will cleanse those who were banished east. It's in Ezekiel 47, this wonderful stream. He brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there I saw water flowing from out under the threshold of the temple to the east. That's the direction the sinners are. Jesus says, I am the temple. I am the temple. My body is a temple. He's lanced and water flows to the east. Whoever believes, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That new temple with living water flowing to the east cleanses the sin of mankind that has been banished further and further and further east in the book of Genesis so far. Eve gets doubly cursed. She's cursed with painful childbearing. She's cursed with that inequality with man. Mary will untie that. Did the new Eve have pain in childbirth? Only Joseph knows, and he's not saying anything (laughs) in all the scriptures. Joseph remains silent. Some things are personal mysteries, only for them to know. Uh, Are they unequal as partners? No way. Joseph revered her like none other. He never used her physically in any way. He would never, ever, ever touch the new ark of a new covenant, and he would guard her purity in every way humanly possible. Eve was banished from paradise. See Mary up in the up in the clouds. Mary will untie that. Mary was assumed body and soul back into paradise. Mary really is the untire of knots, the new Eve. This is a painting of the death of the virgin. We don't talk about this much. There's the death of Mary. Here it is again, death and assumption of the virgin Mary, Uh, death of the virgin, the assumption of the virgin, these beautiful paintings. We know Already in Genesis 5, somebody was assumed. His name was Enoch. In Genesis 5, all the days of Enoch were 365. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He was assumed into heaven, body and soul. We have precedence for that, for Mary. Yeah, in Hebrews 11:5, Enoch was taken up. God had taken him. He was taken up and attested as having pleased God. Do you think Mary pleased God? Uh-huh. Yes, Mary pleased God perfectly. And the ancient text called Transitus Maria, passing on or crossing over of Mary by Melito of Sardis, describes the assumption in detail. He was a bishop in Sardis, uh, in, near Smyrna. And this is what he says, and I quote, In the presence of the apostles gathered around her bed, also in the presence of her divine son and many angels, Mary died and her soul rose to heaven accompanied by Christ and the angels. You see in these paintings, Jesus holding a little baby. That's the soul of Mary. 
And there it is again in this painting. He has Mary's little soul on a blanket and he takes the soul up in the presence of the apostles gathered around her bed, also in the, the presence of her divine son and many angels. Mary died and her soul rose to heaven accompanied by Christ and the angels. Her body was buried by the disciples. St. John Damascene confirms that. He, he writes a story of the Assumption of Mary. He gives it, he says, St. Juvenal, Bishop of Jerusalem at the Council of Chaldean in 451, made known to the Emperor Marcion and Pulcheria, who wished to possess the body of the Mother of God, that Mary died in the presence of all the apostles, but that her tomb was opened upon the request of St. Thomas and was found empty, wherefrom the apostles concluded that the body had been taken up to heaven. St. John Damascene. So Pius XII considered this response as a certain and firm proof that the assumption is a truth revealed by God. The core of the dogma states, we pronounce and declare and define it to be a, a divinely revealed dogma that the Immaculate Mother of God, the ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. And that's church doctrine. And he leaves a little room there, having completed the course of her earthly life. He doesn't say if she fell asleep or she died, because there's discrepancy there between Catholic and Orthodox on that matter. So he leaves the language open. The proclamation calls upon the ancient liturgical celebrations and the constant belief of the faithful as major reasons for this dogmatic definition. Vatican II confirmed that in the document Lumen Gentium, where it states that in the Most Holy Virgin, the Church has already reached that perfection, whereby she exists without spot or wrinkle in the bodily and spiritual spiritual glory which she possesses in heaven. The mother of Jesus continues in this present world as the image and first flowering of the church as it is to be perfected in the world to come. Likewise, Mary shines forth until the day the Lord shall come as a sign of sure hope and comfort for the pilgrim people of God. Now, Mary, the mother of the spiritually living, keeps appearing to her children. And you can't ignore this. Remember when Jesus said, I will not abandon you or leave you orphaned? Mary has not left us orphaned either. She has been appearing throughout the world, and I can't name all of them. They're way too numerous. The church is very particular before it approves an apparition. You know that. One, Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared to uh, San Diego, uh, Juan Diego, in 1531 in Mexico. She left her image on his cloak. We are still celebrating that to this day on December 12th, and they still have the impression in the cloak. Uh, the Virgin Mary appeared 18 times in between February and July to Bernadette Subaru in Massabelle in Lourdes, France. Mary appeared in Ireland August 21st, 1879. She is Our Lady of Knock, Ireland. Uh, she appeared for six months in Fatima in Portugal. In 1917, we just had the one-year, 100-year anniversary of that, Our Lady of Fatima, to these three young children. Our Lady of Cahibo, uh, the Marian apparitions through several adolescents in Cahibo, Rwanda. She said her name, she is the mother of the word in those apparitions. She foretold the Rwanda genocide. Here's one of her conversations with one documented with one of the adolescents. He said, who are you? I am the mother of the word, of the religions. What do you like? I love God and his mother who has given us 
their son and who has saved us. And Our Lady said, it is true. I have come to assure you of this. I have heard your prayers. I would like it if your companions had more faith because some of them do not believe enough. To another one, she said, when I show myself to someone and talk to them, I want to turn to the whole world. If I am turning to the parish in Cahibo, it does not mean that I'm concerned only for Cahibo or for the Diocese of Butera or Rwanda or for the whole of Africa. I am concerned with the turning of the whole world. The world is evil and rushes toward its ruin. It is about to fall into its abyss. The world is in rebellion against God. Many sins are being committed. There is no love and no peace. If you do not repent and convert your hearts, you will fall into an abyss. And then I have to look at Michelangelo's the final judgment. And you see Mary is right there by Jesus. Jesus there is called Christ, the son of righteousness by Malachi's final prophecy in the, in the Old Testament. But Mary at this point has to turn her face away because it's time. It's the final judgment. And she can't bear, she's appeared and appeared and appeared and appeared all over the world telling us to convert, to, to turn from sin, to pray the rosary. And now it's time. The door is shut, and she, and she can't bear to look what's going to happen now. Highly favored Noah has a similar message from God. God is determined. I have determined to make an end to all flesh. The earth is violent. I am going to destroy the whole earth. He told Noah to go make an ark. He was very specific with the dimensions. He said, I'm going to bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh. He said, but Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. You are going to come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wives. You're going to bring two of every living thing, two of every sort, keep them all alive, two by two pairs, male and female. That's so they can reproduce two by two by two. Take every sort of food, store it up. You're going to have to serve them. And Noah did all that God commanded of him. And we think about that. He's in a secular culture. He's surrounded by evil on all sides. He's making his sons build this ark, old crazy Noah, silly, old stupid old man. He thinks he's talking to God. He thinks God has told him these things. They're laughing at him. His sons are working with him month after month after month after month. This thing is huge. And this is a painting called The Eve of the Deluge, the night before the flood. The whole secular, what was that, party spirit, they're all debauchery, they're all laughing, ha, 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 Noah loads the ark, and God says to Noah, go into the ark with your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me, Noah, in this generation, and after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth, and on the eighth day, that special eighth day, Noah, Peter tells us, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. You see the eight people that are in the ark in these old paintings, eight and all were saved through the water. And we in the church still use eight-sided baptismal fonts because eight people were saved through the water. And that's a symbol now for baptism in the church, the new ark. This is the baptistry of John the Baptist in Florence, Italy. It's a whole building built as an octagon, eight-sided, because eight 
in all were saved in the ark. You can see it connected or on the backside there of the Duomo in Florence, the beautiful Duomo Cathedral and the octagonal baptistry of John the Baptist in Florence, Italy. On front are the gates of paradise. They are beautiful. They have the salvation history story on each panel. And above is John the Baptist baptizing Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the new bridegroom for the new covenant. The ceiling when you go in has all the characters of salvation history. Noah is there and the end of the world. Here's the final judgment. Go into the ark. Go into the ark. They enter male and female. All the flesh went in as God had commanded and the Lord God shut him in. The Lord God shut the door himself. Time's up. Time's up. All the days, weeks, months, years of building the ark, time's up. The Lord God has sealed shut the door. It was the Lord's timing and no one knows the day or hour that the door will be shut and sealed but the Lord. The Lord shut the door and a lot of people today are hedging their bets right now, playing the odds that they have lots of time, lots of time. They think they'll be just fine. We'll be good. I'm good. I'm not going to worry about God till I'm old. You know, I've got a lot I want to do before that. But then you get that call. The news on the phone was not what you hoped for. And you're still waiting. Don't wait too long to develop a relationship with the living God. Because one day, the door's going to shut. Matthew 7 says, The gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Don't wait. One day, the Lord's going to shut the door for all of us. It's going to be time's up. One day, the Lord shut the door as he did in Noah's day, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained. The flood continued 40 days upon the earth. And the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Like the ark, so too the church also rises high above the earth in her liturgy, the mass. It's the highest prayer on the face of the earth. The church rose high above all other forms of earthly worship. The mass is where heaven and earth meet and kiss on the altar. What's 40? 40 days. It's a time of testing. It's a time of consecration, making holy. It's a time period that God uses a lot in salvation history. Two times in salvation history, Moses would spend 40 days on top of Mount Sinai. The Israelites would wander in the wilderness 40 days. The Israelites would gather manna and eat manna daily for 40 days years. Joshua and Caleb spied out the land of Cana for 40 days. Elijah went on a 40-day journey to Sinai. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert facing Satan and his temptation. Jesus ascended back to the Father 40 days after his resurrection. 40 is a big number, right? It can also be 4 times 10 equals 40. 4 are the ordinal directions, north, south, east, west, times a fullness of judgment. This is a total judgment on the entire earth. Every direction is being judged in this story. All flesh died. Everything on the dry land and anything that has nostrils that has the breath of life died. God blouted out every living thing from the face of the earth. It was a total judgment on the earth. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark, eight in all. What is the ark a symbol of? 
the church, the church. The ark is a symbol of the church. Those who stayed in the ark were safe. Those who were out of the ark were dead. Michelangelo paints this on the Sistine Chapel. And this is, he, he divides this deluge, the flood, into four different parts. There's a cluster of people seeking sanctuary from the rain under their own makeshift shelter. See them over there? I'll zoom in on them. A group of people make their own shelter. They're going to do this. They're going to they're gonna beat this thing. Even more people climb higher to the top of a mountain to escape the rising water. 40 days, 40 days. And then they're on each other's backs and they're trying to get higher and higher. Little children are clinging to their mothers. They're taking their table, their, their, their dishes. I don't think so, folks. You won't be needing those. Their pans, their pots, their blankets. Um, and then there's the group in the middle. Here's, here's the little children hanging on to their mother as they're climbing. And then there's the, the life raft in the middle. You see that one? And there, I'll zoom in on that. There, other people are trying to get on. They have sticks. They're hitting them, getting them off. They're trying to save themselves in that life raft. And in the far background, there's a team of men working on building the ark. That's the eight, the Noah and his family. And the ark is the only hope for salvation from this storm, from this flood. The ark is the only hope, and the ark is the only hope of salvation, and the ark is a symbol of the church. All the early fathers knew it. It was a type and an anti-type, the ark and the church. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water, the water of baptism. Only Noah was left, and those that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. But God, one day, God remembered Noah. Oh yeah, Noah. God remembered him. Why did God remember Noah? Because God had established an eternal covenant with Noah. And God's covenants are true and God's covenants hold and God never lies and God never, ever, 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 ever forgets one of his covenants. And he never breaks a covenant. Even if we do, he does not. Noah was righteous and blameless and he had God's favor. God's grace was upon him. And he said, I would establish my covenant with you and for those with you, your sons, eight and all. It'll be a new creation, a recreation, a regeneration. It'll be on the eighth day, a new resurrection. It's, it's all a typology. It's a new creation, water and the spirit. God had established a new covenant with Noah. Everything's going to be great now, right? God remembered Noah. God made a wind blow over the earth. The Ruah, the wind of God, the breath of God. That's the Holy Spirit. It reminds us of the first creation when God's spirit was hovering like a dove over the waters of chaos, right? He's done it again. He's with the wind of God is over the, over the chaos of the waters as they recede. It's also in the New Testament. Whenever God recreates, there's always water in the spirit. When John baptizes Jesus Christ, it's with water and the Holy Spirit in the form of dove comes and rests on Jesus and stays on him. Water and the spirit. Watch in the Bible. Water and the spirit always means new life, 
regeneration, new creation. God's doing something new. Behold, I make all things new again. In the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. That's a real place. You can look it up on a map where Mount Ararat is today. Here's a picture of Mount Ararat from, viewed from Turkey. Here's a picture viewed from Armenia. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and sent forth a raven. The raven went to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, looking for land until the waters were dried up from the earth. The raven is a bird that eats carrion. It, it eats dead things. The raven did not return after it was first released from the ark. It went to and fro. The raven could pick up dead fish or sea creatures floating on the top of the water. It's a carrion. It can salvage. It can eat dead things. The dark black raven eats death of the world and is satisfied with that. It never returns back to the ark. How many people leave the safety of the ark, the church, and feed on worldliness and never, ever, ever come back to church, back to the ark? That's so raven. <laughs> That's so raven. Then Noah sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the earth. Now he's sending out a dove, one of the clean birds, the pure white dove. The dove found no place to set her foot, her foot, feminine pronoun. And she returned to him, to the ark. The ark is a resting place. It's a refuge. It's a safe place to get a stronghold, to get a foothold, to rest. The church is a refuge. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth, so he put forth his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. Noah waited another seven days. And again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth, a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And he waited another seven days and sent forth the ark, and she did not return to him anymore. When we get the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to go out also. And we're not supposed to come back until we come back with more souls next week, right? Your confirmation is when you are confirmed as a soldier of God in the church militant and you are to go out and save souls because Jesus is so alive in you and the Holy Spirit is so within you. Is that what you did when you were confirmed? Is that, is that what your, your seventh grade or eighth grade son did? That's what we're supposed to do. We go out from the ark and we bring back souls. The Holy Spirit is released from the church. That's why when you go to Mass, the very final blessing you will receive is always Trinitarian. You need the Holy Spirit. May God, Almighty God bless you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the deacon dismisses the people. The word Mass comes from the Latin word Missa. At one time, the people were dismissed with these Latin words, et Missa A, literally meaning go, she, meaning you, the church has been sent. And the word misa is related to the word missio, the root word of the English word mission. The liturgy does not simply come to an end. Those assembled are sent forth to bring the fruit of the Eucharist to the world. Right? The ark prefigured the church. A type and an anti-type. The ark and the church. The ark was the vehicle through which God brought Noah's family through the waters of chaos and death. The church, so too, we, the church, is a vehicle through which God saves humanity from the sinful chaos of the world, bringing humankind into salvation in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. Clean and unclean birds. The raven is unclean. The dove is clean. The dove is the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The olive branch is shalom, peace. The raven can be white as snow. 
if it wants to be in the Catholic Church because it can go to confession and be forgiven of all its sins. St. Maximus, Bishop of Turin, Italy, was martyred, and he said this in his early writing, For as Noah's Ark preserved alive everyone whom it had taken in when the world was going under, so also Peter's church will bring back unhurt everyone whom it embraces when the world goes up in flames. And as the dove brought the sign of peace to Noah's Ark when the flood was over, so also Christ will bring joy of peace to Peter's church when the judgment is over, since he himself is dove in peace, as he promised when he said, I shall see you again and your heart will rejoice. They were on that ark for one year. Noah went forth, his sons and his wives, his sons' wives with him. First thing he did, offer sacrifice to God. First fruits with a good heart. He had those extra pairs of clean birds from last time. He made extra clean bird pairs come on board so he could offer sacrifice to God. First fruits with a clean heart. Noah offered blood sacrifices which were entirely consumed, whole burnt sin offerings on God's altar. And the Lord smelled them one day. And he was very pleased with the odor, right? Remember, don't take this literally. God doesn't have nostrils. This is, this is, this, God doesn't smell. But God knew he was offering sacrifice and it pleased the Lord greatly. It's his first fruits. And God said, I'll never again curse the ground because of man. For the inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. God relents. God promises. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's a fallen man now. But burnt sin offerings of flesh and blood, God's sacrificial system, he's teaching man how to offer sacrifice to God. The smell is pleasing to God from a contrite, repentant heart. Like what David had when he wrote Psalm 51. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. First thing God tells him is to go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He tells him that again. God made man in his own image. Go, be fruitful, and multiply. He tells them not to eat flesh with blood in it. That the lifeblood of the animal, the lifeblood of the, per of the living being is sacred. This is the sign that I make between you and every living creature for all generations. I set my bow in the cloud, a rainbow. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you, me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature and all flesh. And when the bow is in the clouds, I will look upon it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh upon the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the eternal covenant which I have established between me and all flesh upon the earth. And there's nothing better after a storm when you see one, right? When you see a rainbow, you've got to pull over the car and look, look at it. When you're on a hike and you see a rainbow, you stop. And you say, look, God's eternal covenant, God's eternal sign. There's nothing better. Some groups have taken God's covenant sign and changed God's meaning to their own agenda. God's rainbow has been hijacked by special interest groups. And some Christians are not staying passively silent. Like this young priest, he's taking back the rainbow. He's reclaiming God's rainbow for God's eternal covenant for all mankind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for your eternal covenant. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you would send your only son 
that he would be born of a woman in the fullness of time, a new Eve, a new Adam, and that you would allow us to become co-creators and co-redemptors when we're baptized into Christ and full of your Holy Spirit, that we might go out to the world and spread not darkness, but light, the light of Christ. May we always burn brightly for you, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters eight and nine, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.